Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we're here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim or Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself it is so much to talk about. Good Sunday afternoon. I want to let you guys know how much I appreciate each and every last one of you and for your, you know, continuing to support me in this show. And, you know, it's amazing, and I appreciate it. I need to probably do some more advertising um, because I want to get more listeners and some more new things that are going to be coming out. And, like I said, I have energy now. I got my focus back. I got my motivation back. It is so much, you know, to make up for, you know, the time and all of that. And I just appreciate you sticking with me and, and growing with me in this season. And it's so much, but I want to appreciate it. Again, you know, this is Kim. And from the bottom of my heart, I love each and every last one of you. And there's a lot to talk about. Um, today's show title is White Lies, White Lash, and Black Lives in a Balance. And it should have been Black Lives Hanging in a Balance, but I decided not to use the H word because of everything that's going on. And, you know, they're still finding bodies hanging places. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with what's happening over in Fort Hood, but you need to familiarize yourself with these women that have been coming up missing and find, you know, being found hung you know, or hanged, if you will. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lot happening in this country. So, again, um, again, uh, you know, and Raina gets on me about this, if you so choose to donate to the show, um, you can donate to paypal.com slash blackfreethinkers, you know, with an S at the end. Same thing with cash out, dollar, blackfreethinkers, spelled all the way out, and Venmo, the same thing, Black Freethinkers, if you so choose to make a donation. And, you know, and I'm moving on from that. So anyway, before I start talking about our topic today, there are a number of things that I kind of want to um, pontificate on, right? And so, you know, I am one of those people, I can check a lot of different boxes on an application as far as these different cultures of which I'm a member of, right? And so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but ah, for shits and giggles, let's talk about the atheist community today. Yeah, Kim, you talk about them all the time. Yeah, I do talk about them all the time, here and there, little digs, there and the other. But it's kind of hard for me to talk about the church without talking about the atheist community and showing the similarities and contrasting the two, right? But it's some interesting things that have been happening, and I've been ignoring it. You know, why? Because I just didn't feel like talking about the people, but now I feel like I don't really have a choice, right? So, all right. (laughs) For those of you that know me and have been following this show since 2011, you know, um, I've never been one to shy away from 
controversies that are happening in the atheist community. Hell, I've been involved in a couple of controversies, and I didn't shy away from that either. And, you know, it's, it's just really interesting because, you know, again, just like there are two Americas, a white America and a black America, there is a white atheist community and a black atheist community, right? And you have certain white folks and certain black folks that are trying to bridge that gap, if you will. They're trying to stand in the gap, if you will. And it's just interesting because one of the things that I noticed um, regarding the atheist community and my relationship with them is I was never willing to kowtow, shuck and jive, Amos and Andy, do none of that shit for them. And because, you know, there's a lot happening in that community, I was not one who would want to be their Jezebel either. And it's a lot of that happening over there in that community. You know, if you go and you read up some of the controversies in the atheist community, um, quite a bit of it is surrounding sexual, um, you know, predation, right? Inappropriate relationships, inappropriate behavior, those types of things. And, you know, I saw that from the beginning, but I didn't really see it, see it until I got a little bit more involved and was, you know, contemplating on, you know, stepping out there and, 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 and actually wanting to speak and all of that. But I started seeing things early on. I mean, they, they, they displayed some things to us and other people, they were willing to ignore it or say, well, no, black community needs to hear that. And again, you have a lot of black atheists that are just, you know, they come from that, you know, Hebrew Israelites. Some of them come from um, those that other um, nationalist group of people. You know, um, you know. I, I say I won't say this word, but we'll call it no taps. And you have a lot of no taps over there, or faux taps, and you know, black Hebrew Israelites. And you have to remember a lot of what they believe was secular in nature to begin with. And they had issues with black church, with the black church and, and the black community. Why? Because they want to lead and be in charge and have people do what they want them to do. But again, with those particular groups of people, they, they believe in a white supremacist tenet. They just want it in black face, which is why they get along so well with these white supremacists. So, you know, again, I wanted to make sure, you know, that I put that out there when I start talking about the white atheist community and when I talk about certain black atheists, I just want it in context so that you'll understand where I'm coming from. So, you know, many of them believe in capitalism. You know, they believe in, you know, um, patriarchy, you know, a lot of misogyny, um, you know, homophobia, transphobia is outrageous, right? And someone like me, I would speak out against them and their behavior and whether it was white or black. And, of course, that made me very unpopular. But, you know, as I got more exposed to the racism and all of those things, it was just absolutely, you know, um, it was breathtaking to me. Because many of these people are the same ones that hide behind the, the label of being progressive liberals or progressive Democrats or moderate Democrats or just liberal liberals, right, and these are the same people that would say, I would support you, but we don't like your tactics. Or Kimberly, you need to tone that down. We don't like the words that are coming out of your mouth. We feel as though we're being attacked. And then we'll sit there with this, this look on their face when I'm like, I am attacking you, fucker. 
fuck do you not understand? And then I started calling people out by their names. And, of course, they were unhappy about that as well. You know, so, I mean, it is what it is. So, anyway, um, you know, a lot of these communities, you know, they have a lot in common. So, there was this group, is this group, is not was, they're still in existence, um, American Atheists. And with American Atheists, at the time, they had this leader by the president by the name of David Silverman, right? And, you know, basically, I had problems with David Silverman from the very beginning. And I would call out things that American Atheists, you know, the things that they were doing and things that, you know, David Silverman was saying. He was a constant fixture on Fox News. And he was doing his best to align, you know, American atheists with CPAC, which is, you know, the conservative party of the Republican wing, right, or the conservative wing of the Republican Party. And, you know, basically they were showing up for several years. I remember the first year they tried to attempt to go to it, right, and basically, you know, their their, um, booth, or their table, we'll just say a booth, you know, how basically they were having a hard time (laughs) maintaining that particular contract in which they were able to get a booth and put their information out there because there were some grumblings and some people didn't want them there. But eventually they made their way in, they paid for their booth or their space and, you know, started making their appeals to CPAC. Um, even got to a point where they had a black atheist woman give a talk and in which, you know, um, she talked about the, you know, Republican Party being the home of Lincoln and all of those things, right? Um, and, and, and as I stated before, um, I, I still believe that she was used. And, but that's, you know, that's just me. And basically, you know, I'm going to have to go back and read it, but there was some um, information in that talk that, you know, was not 100% on the level. And that's not a knock against her. It's a knock against our educational system for not teaching you know, history and what really happened, but then some of it is on her for not doing the research. However, I do believe that these prominent white atheists helped put that talk together for her and gave her some talking points, and she kind of went with that. And unfortunately, you know, she's had to deal with the fallout from that. And I don't necessarily fault her entirely, but, um, you know, um, I, I think she's lost, she learned a lesson from all of that, right? So, you know, they were trying desperately to become a part of CPAC, um, and 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 basically, you know, it all worked out. You know, they didn't advance into CPAC the way that they wanted. Um, they, and if you don't believe me, there's a hashtag on Twitter called CPAC Atheist. Again, C-P-A-C-A-T-H-E-I-S-T-S, right? And you go and you look that up, and you can find a lot of the information that I'm talking about. And Raina and I clowned them for a long time. 
And to this day, I'm still clowning them and 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 stance that they took on that. So anyway, time went on, and and they put, you know, okay. So before that talk at CPAC, they put billboards up in Pennsylvania State, and in Pennsylvania State, they put one up in the black community, they put one up in a Muslim community, and they put one up in a Jewish community. Now, they sat down and had conversations with members of the Muslim and, and the Jewish community and came up with a compromise, came up with a plan of, you know, what type of billboard to put up with that, that wouldn't cause great offense. They didn't do that with the black community. They just threw up a billboard that said, slaves, obey your slave masters. And then after the uproar and outrage from the black community and, and some so-called liberal whites, then they went and recruited black people and was asking them to speak up, saying that it was okay, you know, so that was their countermeasures, trying to say that some black people, some black atheists in particular, thought that it was okay for them to put those billboards up. And one particular black atheist, she said, well, the black community needs to hear that. And you, not, you have to remember, she comes from that no-tep background, right? And um, basically... You know, that's when it started causing more rifts, because at that point in time, American atheists went directly to my shit list. And, you know, I had people saying, well, Kim, you should sit down and talk with them and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. There's no need. They, they've stated who and what they are. And not only with that billboard, but just different statements and things that David Silverman would say from time to time, and that includes some other people that were part of American Atheists, and especially the people that were their members and out here following them. You wouldn't believe some of the idiotic-ass conversations that I've had with white atheists. You know, they, they like to say that they're superior, intellectually superior, and in some cases morally superior, but these are some of the dumbest people I've ever met in my life, but that's just me. And what's interesting, I was reading that article um, a couple of days ago about that sheriff that had to resign his position because his white wife girlfriend spoke to a black young man that worked at a grocery store, and he was angry that his wife was talking to that young man. And he walked up to her, and he became verbally abusive to her and, and called the, the, the black guy, you know, a dreadhead N-word. And, and accused his wife of being an in-lover and all of that. And so when they started putting pressure on him to resign, he was like, I'm not racist. I'm a good Christian, right? That's his fallback, and that's the fallback of a lot of white Christians. And that's why I posted that NPR piece in which it's, it's talking about white evangelicals grappling with, with the fact that being a racist is a sin, right? And so while... I was in my neophyte or beginning stages of getting to know the atheist community at large. You had a lot of white atheists saying to me that, you know, racism and sexism and all of that are characteristics that are of the church, of Christianity. And when they left Christianity and, and declared themselves atheists, that they were no longer, you know, racist or or. or sexist or homophobic or any of those things, because those attributes are attributed to, to religion. And child, I knew it was a bunch of shit then, and I know it now, right? And so that's why when I see those things, you know, 
some people get upset at these articles. Now, I'm upset about the content of the articles, but I find it personally hilarious because of what I've seen in the atheist community in the same arguments, right? And um, look, Dave Silverman, again, him and a lot of the white atheists, you know, and that would include the white feminist atheists and all of, you know, uh, those different subgroups within that community. I mean, you even have a group of people that say that they're faithiest, and you have gaytheists, and again, blatheists, black atheists, right? And, you know, all of these different subgroups within that community. And one of the issues that I had with them, as far as, like, the black atheists are concerned in the direction we were going in, they were doing their damnedest to control us. Right. Well, why do you have to put black in front of your name? Or we knew as soon as we let you all into the community that you were going to change things. And I mean, just, you know, the same things that you hear when you when when black people start, you know, attempting in their own way to assimilate or to be a part of these other subgroups where we're not wanted in general. But yet. When we went off on our own, or someone like me, I went off on my own, they kind of want you back, but they want to be able to control you. And this is one of the reasons why some of the white atheists get angry when we kick them out of our groups, because this is a black atheist or a black agnostic or, you know, a black whatever group. But you want to come in there and you want to regulate the language, you want to insert your opinions, which are not wanted or needed, but again, trying to control what we say and what we do. And so every once in a while, well, not once in a while, I do a little bit more often now, but um, I'll put screenshots of tweets. And this particular tweet by Bree Newsom Bass is great because it's, it's, it's pertaining, just, it's just a general tweet, and it says, white people trying to police language and dialogue of black liberation movements based on what they view as palatable to themselves is another example of how whiteness is a socialization that teaches people they are the center of the universe and are entitled to all spaces, things, and people. And then she followed it up with, um, let's see here, whiteness is an idea a belief in inherent superiority, elite status, and entitlement of, quote, white, end quote, people is also a highly unstable identity because it relies on the constant subjugation of non-white people for self-validation. And you see that in all of these communities. I mean, you see it in the feminist community. You see it in, you know, the, um, the, the disability movement, that community, LGBTQ community. You just see it across the board because, again, it's about centering whiteness. So anyway, speaking of centering whiteness in David Silverman, I brought him up for a reason. So, again, uh, I'll start with the friendly atheist, right? Um, oh, no, this is an atheist stolly. Um, even though the friendly atheist did write an article on David Silverman and oh, Atheist Alley. And basically, you know, they're talking about David Silverman. And, and you know, again, he was talking about some of the sexual allegations against him. And this has been going on for a while, right? And what's interesting, he says, the false accusations of sexual misconduct almost drove him to suicide. And basically, you know, the whole thing is just really interesting because, you know, he's saying that these are false accusations and, 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 you know, but the thing is, is that the same thing that's happening to him, he did that to other people, you know, when false allegations were put out against them. So anyway, 
this guy, like I said, used to go on Fox News and and pontificate about why the atheist community should be a part of these other particular communities and them trying to normalize atheism. And you'll find that hashtag out there also. And I believe that campaign was spearheaded by the Nebos, who are problematic in and of themselves. But that's a whole different story. So basically, David Silverman was putting out (laughs) these tweets. And basically, you know, and again, you know, he knows exactly what he's saying and what he's doing. So do not take this as a misstep or miscommunication. He knows exactly what he's doing. So when he found out that Joe Biden had chosen Kamala Harris as his running mate, you know, Dave Silverman responded, I'm upset. I'm literally thinking of voting red right now. Me, David Silverman. I used to say I'm so blue I make the sky look red. I haven't changed. The left has. And here I sit contemplating the pussy-grabbing crook because cops in due process in free speech. What the fuck, right? And so, you know, it's really interesting, Um, you know, and again, we don't know who these folks are voting for when they go behind the curtain in the voting booth. Personally, you know, I don't believe that blue line. And I have a right to feel and believe as I feel and believe, you know, because if you are so left or you're so blue, you make the sky look red, how the hell are you trying to infiltrate CPAC? Why are you always on Fox News? Some of the same talking points. And some of the people like David Silverman and Sam Harris and, again, Christopher Hitchens, fuck the fact that he's dead. I don't give a damn. And, you know, a number of other white atheists in the atheist community, you know, they have some very racist beliefs and talking points. Sexist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, all of that. You know, I can point out some issues that they have, some of their talking points, right? And so what's interesting is that people used to get very upset with me when I would critique them. And there was one, there's a former employee of American Atheist um, who came out trans. And, you know, again, I'll put it out there. I believe the reason why they were, you know, rift or had a reduction in force with that particular individual is because they became an open-and-out trans person, right, trans woman. And, you know, and one of the issues I've had with that particular individual is they were there when that billboard went up. And yet, I don't remember hearing you say Black Lives Matter then, but then you tried to create a platform in which you commodified and capitalized off of Black Lives Matter. And that didn't quite work out the way that you wanted to as well. And so, you know, I look at this and, and, and again, this is not new. This is the direction that they've been going in, which is why we were calling out the libertarianism in the community. Because again, to me, libertarianism is nothing but conservative Republican, you know, ideology, except they like to smoke marijuana and they like to have sex parties. They like to have their orgies, right, which is what, what created a lot of the problems in the atheist community. And that's white and black, because don't believe that there are no blacks that take part in this, which is why they cover for these people, because they don't want their shit coming out. 
So anyway, um, you know, again, um, you know, the in this article is talking about his standoff with Bill O'Reilly on 2011. And, you know, again, these people are professional actors. And I just say um, be very cautious and that this community has not changed. It was conservative in nature then. It's conservative in nature now. They have opened their doors. They've created a soft place to land for these white supremacists, particularly the alt-righters, you know, who has money. And many of these organizations were taking money, and they are still taking money from these white supremacists, white nationalists, and alt-righters. And we warned you about them 2011, 12, 13, 14, and, you know, subsequent years, even up to now. And it's funny because at first, you know, people were blowing me off. And then a couple of years later, when it hit them in the face and they no longer could deny it, then they're trying to act like they discovered something new while trying to factor me out of that particular history of bringing this to people's attention. And you know what? I'm fine with that. You know, because it tells me what type of person you are. You have no integrity whatsoever. But I've been saying that from the very beginning. And 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 now it's a problem, and it's a problem that has gotten out of hand because you've lost control of the narrative. You've lost control of your community. And especially now with what's happening with Richard Spencer and Milo and all of that. And, oh, yeah, you know, David Silverman was on some type of, conference or panel or what have, have you with a bunch of white supremacists, alt-writers, you know, and don't forget about that conference that they had in Milwaukee in which they were flying white supremacists in from London and other places to be a part of that. It was a big old controversy. So, again, you know, some people want to discount what I say and the things that I've said over the years, but I've told nothing but the truth. And the atheist community is a constant source of material and content and humor for my ass because I stepped away. I'm like, you want a fucked up ass community? That's fine with me. I'm going to sit over here and continue to mock you. And I pulled back. And, you know, and it's just really interesting. It got to the point that I didn't even want to be known as an atheist anymore. And to a certain degree, I still don't. I prefer to be known as a humanist and a free thinker because of the fact that the atheist community has cre- is, is toxic. It's toxic. And, you know, and that includes the black atheists, too. You know, again, I don't want people to, to think that I'm, you know, focusing, um, focusing uh, solely on the white atheist community. I'm not. You know, but the thing is, is that it's the bigger group of people. They provide the most material. They do the most fucked up shit and say some of the stupidest shit I've ever heard. So, yes, I do call it out. But, you know, you have people in the atheist community that call themselves, quote, unquote, racial realists, which is another coded word for you're a fucking racist. And instead of wanting to have conversations, I've been invited to shows in which they want to debate me. I don't debate. Oh, yeah, and it's another racist, you know, in the community, um, in sexist, you know, David Smalley of Dogma Debate. You know, you want to go and read that, but it's a whole lot of um, issues happening in the atheist community. And, you know, they want to normalize it, and that's fine. I get it. I understand that. You know, and the thing is that they're not doing anything necessarily more different than mainstream society. 
you know, or even the Christian church, especially the white Christian church. You have so many pastors and ministers and evangelists and missionaries that are being caught up in these sexual, you know, trysts and and, and, and these sexual scandals. And it's not new. It's something that's been happening for a while. It's just that with the Internet, you're able to get more access to the information, right? And so, um, you know, it's just it's interesting. But the thing is, is that David Silverman threatening to vote Republican I don't know why you all are surprised. It's quite a few. You know, you have the amazing atheists out there and a multitude of these celebrity or popular white atheists that have outright supported Trump. And you have a lot of atheists, you know, regular folks, if you will, in the community that are Trumpists. You know, I have quite a few of them on my, you know, friends list on Facebook. I have well over 4,000 Facebook friends, and I think I probably know about 100 of you people. But the only reason why I don't kick certain people off of my, you know, friends list is because you provide me with material. It comes through my news feed. I read the shit. And some of you give great gossip, so thank you very kindly. And um, and I go and I research it and I look it up. But, you know, um, again, you know, thank you, David Silverman. Thank you for putting us out there. Thank you for, again, making yourself a beacon of light to shine on the atheist community so I can talk about what is wrong with the atheist community. You know, but, you know, the, the white feminist atheists don't get off. You know, it's, they're problematic as well. And it's really interesting um, with some of these white feminists that are, you know, rallying against, you know, people in general. You know, they were the ones that, you know, helped to encourage some of these other women to come out with their allegations. And I'm glad because those allegations and all of that needed to come out. But again, as I've stated before, they never talk about the shit that they're doing and they're problematic as well. And I've talked about shit that's been done on their end because, again, some of them are in some of the same, you know, circles in which, you know, you have those sexual trysts. And, and and you have allegations of this, that, and the other. And, again, they try to cover it up. And, and, and what they do is they start pointing at the person who's pointing out what's problematic. And it's just funny just watching this. And, again, in the black atheist community as well, you know, you have allegations of rape. You know, you have uh, just the number of things that are happening and how it's being covered up. And and then what they try to do is double speak, but that's a whole different story. So, um, actor James Wood, you know, made comments about David Silverman's tweet, saying it marks a groundbreaking shift. He's facing the same decision I did when I was a registered Democrat for 30 years. The party went so far left it dropped off the cliff of sanity. I had no choice, and neither does Mr. Silverman. Ain't that some shit, y'all? And um, ha, he called it a significant tweet. And Mr. Silverman is an unabashed liberal Democrat. He's facing the same decision I did when I, you know, and it's just so funny. It's so funny when I read this because the so-called Democrats, this, this liberal Democrat in this faction of the Democrats, you know, these Republicans and conservatives are saying that these folks have gone so far left when the Democrat 
party in and of itself, the way it stands now with these moderates and some of these progressives, it is a Republican. The Democratic Party is Republican. Barack Obama was Republican light. So when when they start talking about this 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 alleged far left, there is no far left. The far left, as far as it can go, is Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and the populism. And the Democrats, as far as I'm concerned, they are willing to throw this election just so that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and all of those people would not, you know, gain power. But the way it stands now with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all of them, they are nothing but fucking Republicans, Republican light. And it's just really, you know, really interesting when you hear them saying this. And and so I'm like, I don't know where this fairy tale far left Democratic Party is or who's involved in it, but you know, they've made it up and that's why I called the RNC, you know, damn propaganda conference. It was a, a propaganda infomercial. And you know, wow. It's just, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Now, again, I'm not telling anyone who to vote for because I still haven't decided, you know, who I'm going to vote for, you know, but I do know I'll be voting for Lauren Underwood and people like that. But as far as like, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still on the line about that Biden Harris thing. And, you know, for those that have been around, you knew I had a problem with Hillary. And if it wasn't for the fact of the coronavirus and the fact that he's threatening, you know, social security and, a number of other programs and things that are happening. And now with this guy, you know, he's shutting down anti-racist uh, <laughs> programs and, and, and contracts with people that are coming in and, and doing, you know, training on racism and, and all of that. He's having no parts of it. I mean, you know, Donald Trump has told you, you know, he, more, he has more than just shown you who he is. He told you, and he told you that before he even ran for president. So I don't understand why people are upset. You know, I remember going to this one white humanist group here in town, and they got so upset with me because I said Donald Trump told you exactly who he was and what he was going to do. The problem is white people didn't believe him, but the black and brown people did. And so now I've corrected myself since then because white people knew they believed him. They just want to be able to be duplicitous and act as though that this is a surprise. We never knew he was going to do that, or we thought, you know, he said that, but we thought he was lying. No, you knew exactly what he was going to do, and you did not think he was lying. Why? Because other white politicians have been doing this all along. Again, you knew you want to hide behind the shield. You, you want to be appear duplicitous, right? And it's not working. You know, you want to feign ignorance. You want to feign surprise. We know better. So the only people you're fooling are yourselves. You're not fooling us. And, yes, there are some black people that are going to be voting for Donald Trump. And, again, I'll state that I believe he's going to get a record number of black votes. I mean, he's, he's going to is, – is, is, huh. You know he's going to break the record of the, the percentage of black votes that he that any Republican candidate has ever gotten, and so you know it's it's really interesting. But um, um, you know, and it's just funny because you know one tweet, one 
that someone tweeted at Dave Silverman said, don't be irrational. I hate Harris too, but Trump is a far bigger danger. And um, another one says, this makes me so sad. I know many feel like you do. Four more years of the same from Trump is just untenable. Thinking about him being allowed to carry on with with the damage he's already done makes me sick to my stomach. And this is the thing, folks. You know, I really want you all to understand and to know this. If he's reelected, the next four years is going to be hell on wheels because at that point, he knows he can't get another term. So he's just, you know, he's already been doing whatever the hell he wants is going to get worse. So, again, you know, again, I just want to tell, you know, a number of people, especially if you're new to the atheist community, this is why many of us, many black people do not join these atheist organizations, these white mainstream organizations, because they are complicit. And many of them sit there in silence, and some of them, they'll put out these, these, these statements, we're against you know, racial profiling. We are against racism. You know, we we empathize and we send our condolences and, and our atheist thoughts and prayers to this family and that family. These are just statements, people. They are not doing the work behind that to, to support those statements. And then with one particular, you know, white mainstream atheist organization, it turned into a big old fight because some of the white members wanted to whitewash a statement that they were going to put out there. And, and again, these are people who, who say they believe that black lives are important, that black lives matter, but they don't want to put that type of statement out there because, you know, it's divisive. And those are words that, you know, again, that they like to use. And you'll hear a lot of black atheists using the same wording. Why? Because, again, these white supremacists, these alt-writers, defer to these particular black atheists. Why? Because they're, they are their covers. And they benefit from that. You know, I mean, even Todd Stiefel made some comments. And, of course, there are certain black atheists that went over there, I support you, after he's giving you donations. So I'm telling you guys, do your research. And at this point in time, I wouldn't support any of them, the black atheist organizations or the white atheist organizations. I mean, you can get a lot of information from them. I'm not saying not to support them as far as, like, you know, encouraging them or anything like that, whatever you feel you have to do. But keep your money in your pocket. That's all I'm saying. Keep your money in your pocket because what you're doing is you're subsidizing fuckery. So anyway, um, you know, again, David Silverman, you know, he had these women who said that, you know, he had taken advantage of them sexually. And, you know, and, and you know, in this community, there's a lot of BDSM and a lot of BDSM role playing. And, you know, and again, black, white, you know, hetero, LGBTQ, I mean, it's happening across the board. And so will I let this go? Fuck no, I'm not going to let it go, and I'm going to clown you every chance I get. And I got receipts. That's the whole thing right there. So anyway, moving on from that, uh, you know, um, again, you know, you have these same white people with this particular mindset and worse, 
attempting to control, you know, the black people that are part of these different movements and control what they're saying, control what they're doing, control, you know, giving them talk points, talking points that they feel are palatable and, and appealing to their white audience base, which basically they want you to be neutral, but leaning more towards, you know, the white supremacist talking points. Oh, I can find nothing wrong with this statement. And then what's interesting is with some of these black and, and even some of these brown, and when I say brown, I'm talking about Latinx, and I'm also talking about some of the ex-Muslims that, again, want that money, they want that power, they want that recognition, they want all of those things. And many of them will shuck and jive, fetch and step, Amos and Andy, their way to the side to blame the people that have been victimized by white people in general in this country. And so, um, you know, and it's interesting because I don't know if you all heard about what happened with Jess Krug and how all of these years she's been lying about being Afro-Latina, right? And so you had all of that going on, but people had been, you know, accusing her of not being black, you know, for a number of years. And, yes, she had black people up here standing for her and, and, and fighting for her and gaslighting other black people. You know, this is not anything new. This happens in all of these communities, even the atheist community. Some of the shit that I see, and I'm like, they must be paying you well. And so um, for you to, to, to absolutely have absolutely no integrity at all. So right here, another tweet by Brew Newsom, um, Newsom Bass. Can folks stop acting like white people cosplaying as other races and ethnicities is rare and not a feature of socialization into whiteness. We have this discussion every Halloween. Politicians are still getting exposed as having performed in blackface. It's a a flex of privilege. Again, there's this constant avoidance of examining how race is constructed around anti-black racism, specifically how it is the unambiguous racially black person who is afforded the least amount of flexibility, fluidity, and access when it comes to traversing boundaries of race. Now, with that particular tweet, it was talking about Jessica Krug. If you go on my Facebook page or on the Black Free Thinkers Facebook page and the People of Color Beyond Faith Facebook page, you'll see that information is out there. You know, I posted a few articles about this, and I would encourage you guys to go and read them. But in regards to Jess Krug, um, basically, you know, again, room and spaces were available to her that had been taken away from other black people, especially black women. And the main people that are factored out to make room for these white people are generally dark-skinned black women. You know, so, you know, you have issues of colorism. You even have issues of colorism in the atheist community. Hell, I've been told that there were some people that had, you know, a rather distaste of me. Number one, because I would not kowtow to the atheist agenda and go out here and make all these ridiculous talking points supporting them and their fuckery. And, you know, in good conscience, I couldn't do it when I found out what was happening in the background. At the beginning, I was a little bit more supportive. But as I took a step back and started watching this shit, you know, I was like, I'm not taking part of that. I'm not turning a blind eye to that shit. But there was colorism in the atheist community as well. So, again, there were some people who took a distaste for me because of my talking points and my refusal 
to to subjugate myself and kiss the ring of these white atheists. And also, I'm a little bit too dark. I'm a little bit too fat and a little bit too gay, right? And, you know, and, and you know, at that time, you know, it was not known that I was disabled too, right? And so um, it's just really interesting, you know, how all of this, you know, has worked itself out. But, again, you have these people just trying to police these minority communities, you know, minorities within a minority, and sometimes a minority within a minority within a minority. And, you know, I'm never going away. I'm never going to whitewash or, or filter my talking points. Why? Because I don't have to, and I don't care. But I want you to read this article. People, people make space for white women like Jessica Krug by disposing of dark-skinned black women, right? And there's another article, students of fake black professor Jessica Krug's classes, because this Jessica Krug has berated black women, you know, a lot of gaslighting. And there were a lot of blacks that, that joined her in gaslighting other black people. And 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 it's just it's a shame, you know. Some of them are apologizing. There are some people that are out here saying, "Oh, well, I knew her, but we weren't friends." And blah blah blah. And again, you know, you see that same shit with that, you know, um, no true Scotsman fallacy, right? You know that particular brand of philosophy, but no true Scotsman. You see that in all these communities as well. So I'm going to let that go for right now. You can read that on your own. And, you know, it was another article I posted that I want you guys to read. They push black people out and replace us with Black Lives Matter signs. Now, I've talked about this, you know, I've been talking about this for years. But this is happening all over the country, even within these communities. And the same thing in the atheist community. They don't want black and brown people that are going to push back but they want to walk around with their Black Lives Matter t-shirts and their signs and their masks and all of that, while at the same time harboring all of this anti-black sentiments and rhetoric. And, and, you know, oh, well, wait a minute, I'm anti-racist. I read that book. I'm anti-racist. I sent Black Lives Matter $100. You know, or I don't have any money, but I wear their t-shirts. Every picture you have is of Black Lives Matter. Every picture of a T-shirt you're wearing has that, and yet you are still part of the problem. And uh, it's just really interesting. They replace black people with Black Lives Matter signs with with uh, <laughs> other black people who say Black Lives Matter but ain't did shit to help that. As a matter of fact, a lot of what some of these other black people are doing is counterproductive, but you can't tell them that. You know, and in a lot of anti-black behavior on their end. But how can I be anti-black? I'm black. I have black children. I have a black spouse. Who cares? You you know, that's the same thing. You have some white people who feel that they are excused from racism because they have a biracial child or they have a black spouse or partner. No. No, you don't get to say that. You don't get to do that. You don't get to feel that way because of whatever. And, oh, I grew up in a black neighborhood, and I know how black people act. No, you don't. So it's just really interesting. So I'm going to leave that alone for now, but um, because I've talked about it so much, and I kind of want to get to the topic, but before I even get to the topic today, um, 
I want you to pay, uh, pay attention to Donald Trump and his cracking down on federal anti-racism training. And pay attention to the time in which this is happening. You know, and he's doing everything he can to appeal to his base and throwing them red meat. And the fact that this is happening now is not a coincidence. And, you know, again, you have a lot of white folks that, you know, when you accuse other white people of being racist, they feel compelled to speak up and to try to protect that other white person. Why? Because they feel like, you know, they're personalizing it. They feel as though it's an indictment of themselves. And, you know, that's extremely important for you guys to understand. It's a lot of gaslighting. And black people have been gaslighted in this country from the very beginning, and it's still happening now. And it gets worse. And they've gaslighted us so much that we do it to each other. And not only when we're talking about, you know, interracial matters, if you will, but intraracial matters as well. So, you know, we've been taught to gaslight ourselves. And, I mean, and, again, that goes from the pulpit to the street and back. You know, it's a lot of gaslighting happening in the pulpit. And so it's just really interesting. And I just wanted to, you know, point some of that out for you guys. Um, and, um, you know, we'll start moving on with today's topic. So today's show is entitled White Lies, White Lash, and Black Lives in the Balance. And here we go. History repeats itself, and we're currently experiencing, and what we're currently experiencing is the time-proven playbook of white people not being able to trick us into silence, obedience, and accomplices in their desperate attempt to keep and maintain power and control. The current political landscape is not new. However, Trump has thrown a few sucker punches that most Americans were not expecting and have no idea how to respond to. Between the overt isms and phobias, most Americans are experiencing whiplash from watching the political party sling mud playing gotcha politics and not being sure if anyone can be trusted. Unfortunately, COVID had factored into COVID had factored even more distrust in the political systems that are supposed to govern for us, right? And so it's really interesting. Oh Lord, we got a caller from a one 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 I already know that this is probably um, you know, a troll call or one of them folks trying to defend, you know, they're, they're, they're one of their gods. It's so funny. I heard one black atheist say that if they believed in God, those gods would be Sakibu Hutchinson and David Silverman. And so I'm just laughing because I'm seeing all of these one one ones and it's usually, you know, trolls. So I'm just going to go ahead and ignore you troll and move on because, again, if you can't deliver your number, you know, I'm not going to pick up the phone. And, you know, I've been derailed too many times. Oh, and it's also another article. We'll get back to that. So anyway, white lies, white lash, and black lives in the balance. So I'm going to give you two different definitions for white lash, right? A backlash, a strong negative reaction to change or recent events by white people against the success and achievements of black people. And, you know, against black people, against Muslim people, against, you know, um, Latinx folks, brown, you know, brown people, against indigenous people, you know, you can put a number of words in there. Another definition for white lash would be, let's see here, let's pull this one up. 
Um, this one is on dictionary.com. A hostile or violent reaction by white people to the advances or influx of other racial or ethnic groups. Again, a hostile or violent reaction by white people to the advances or influx of other racial or ethnic um, groups, right? And this is happening, you can find this in a number of different communities, you know, not just mainstream America, you can find it in the atheist community, you can find it in, you know, the feminist community, you can find it in the, um, you know, the, the communities that's advancing and talking about disabilities, you can find it in the feminist community, I think I mentioned them twice, you know, there are just a number of different groups. You can find that in, actually, you know, this may surprise some folks, but it shouldn't. You can find that in a social justice community, you know, because social justice movements were started by the black communities, and it was co-opted by white people. And there is a lot of racism in the social justice community, right? And and basically, you know, when I say that to people, they're like aghast. Yes, and even with the nonprofit industrial complex, you know, you'll find a lot of that in that particular community as well. Now, I haven't even gotten started on a community, and all of a sudden I have three callers, right? And, you know, I'm trying to say to myself, do I want to take these calls? Now, I've already stated that I'm not going to take the 111 calls because if you can't deliver your number, I'm not picking up. But for shits and giggles, let's go ahead and take this 212 call before I get into the show today. But one book that I definitely want to recommend before I go on is you want to read White Rage by Carol Anderson. Again, the book is White Rage, The Unspoken Truth of Our Racial Divide. And this was written by Carol Anderson. You know, it's a really good book. And I'm going to post a couple of videos for this later. But for those of you that want to read some of the posts that I make, you know, you can find us on Reddit. So if you go to reddit.com slash blackfreethinkers, I have a whole forum over there, and I post quite a bit on Reddit. I post more on Reddit than I do on my Facebook page. I remember I used to post a lot on my Facebook page, and people used to be up. Some people would be upset. You're posting too much, blah, 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 blah. And we all know my thing. You, you have the right to be as ignorant as you want to be. But if you're going to be around me, you're going to learn something or two, whether you want to or not. So that's how that goes. So let's go ahead. I'm going to pick up this call. But before I pick up this call, I'm telling you, I want your name, and I want you to tell me what you want to talk about. Okay? Let's see here. 212, thank you for calling. May I ask your name, and what would you like to talk about in regards to what I've already covered? Uh, yeah, hi. My name is Randy Anderson, and I'm calling from uh, from California, Los Angeles mm-hmm. to be specific. And uh kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about um specifically about white lash and and uh, uh more specifically in regards to when uh, uh, the uh, that white lash being is what what uh, elected Donald Trump into his um oh, into his position now as a oh, exactly as yeah, that's what got him into the White House was all these racist white people that um, mm-hmm. that felt like they had to. Oh, oh shit! I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm taking a shit. Hold oh on. lord! Hold on, let me just hold. Oh no, hold on! I'm almost done. Let me just get this last one. Oh, oh my! All right. 
So the the comedians, you know, have found their way. So, <laughs> all right. So I knew I knew that was going to happen, but I just wanted to prove myself right. And um, so yeah, you know, white lash. You know, uh, with Donald Trump being elected into office, yeah, it was white anger, white rage, that put him in office, right? And and. Again, you know, even though that was a comedian, you know, at least he admitted that to be the truth. And it's just so funny. So, yeah, it's probably a white comedian from the atheist community. You have plenty of them over here. As a matter of fact, there was one particular white comedian by the name of Dusty. And basically, you know, he made some anti-black jokes. And his biggest cheerleaders were some black atheists who were saying, oh, you don't have a sense of humor. And he was just kidding. And, you know, all of those things. And you've had some some black atheists, a couple of them say, well, they never should have supported him that way. You know, but some of these same black atheists are anti-black as fuck as well. And we get angry when I would talk about white people and all of these things that white people would do. So anyway, um, if you go and you read this book by Carol Anderson, it'll give you some insight as to, you know, what happened. Um, It was on the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, it's one that I personally would recommend, right, that you go and you read. And it was a timely book then, and it's a timely book now. So um, I'm also going to post a list of books and articles for race and equity work. Um, Let's see here. What's this? And, you know, I would advise that you guys read that this other book as well. And it's talking about the lies that we were taught in school, right? And the title of this book is Lies My Teacher Told Me. And this was written by James Lewin, right? And I'll post an article to that as well. But one of the biggest lies, he says, that we were told was that we kept being told and then and now that things are getting better. When they're not getting better, they're actually getting worse, right? And, and he wrote, we learn nothing because we remember nothing. Now, one of the things I've always stated was basically that most Americans have the attention span of a gnat. And what they did in school is what they, they, they helped us to kind of learn how to ignore the obvious, ignore what's right in front of us. And unfortunately, some of that happens, well, a lot of that happens with religion as well. You're told to turn the other cheek and, and let go and let God deal with it. And, and, and again, you know, that passivity. And this has done nothing but hurt us. Not only hurt us as black people in a black community, but it hurt us as Americans as well. And so right here in this article, and you can find this on Vox, and the title of the article, The Biggest Lie We Still Teach in American History Classes. Again, The Biggest Lie We Still Teach in American History Classes. This was published on, I think, November 20th of 2018, and it was written by Sean Illing, right? And let me scroll back down here because it was something specifically that I wanted to 
um, right here. It says, according to your book, the biggest lie we are taught in U.S. history class is that the country started out great and we've just been getting better ever since. And he responded, it's true enough. My problem is the implication that progress is automatic, which it most certainly isn't. Second, the idea that we're always getting better keeps us from seeing those times when we're getting worse, right? And so I'm going to go ahead and paste this, I mean paste this, post this, so that you all can, um, you know, read it for yourselves. I have a couple of other links referring to this, and I'll post those on um, Reddit a little bit later as well. Um, there's an article, and it's in the Smithsonian, so smithsonianmag.com. The title of this article is 158 Resources to Understand Racism in America. Again, 158 Resources to Understand Racism in America, and it's written by Malin Solly, and this was published June 4th of this year. And so it gives you some articles and videos and podcasts and websites from the Smithsonian to kind of chronicle the history of anti-black, anti-black violence and inequality in this country. So, um, again, you know, this is a good resource as well, and I'll post that. All right, so let's get into the articles. It was one article that was written by um, Eli Mistal, right? This is, yeah, Eli Mistal here. And the title of the article is The Inevitable White Lash Against Racial Justice Has Started. The Inevitable White Lash Against Racial Justice Has Started. And this was written on August 31st, 2020. And I posted that already on Reddit and on my walls. And it's the nation. It's written under the nation. And because there's a paywall, I went on and posted the context of the article as well so that you can read it. Now, you know, and the thing is, is that Eli is absolutely correct in his assessment here. However, I don't believe it has started. I believe it's been going on all along. And so I want to give you some of my personal observations and opinions on some of these things, which you know, I do on this show, but, you know, this is, this time it's a little bit different. What you're seeing happening across this country, and in particular what happened yesterday in Louisville, Kentucky, when the Black Lives Matter protesters showed up to protest against the, you know, the Derby, and the counter-protesters showed up. And, again, these were white nationalists, these were white supremacists, these were militia groups you know, angry white people that showed up to counter-protest the Black Lives Matter protesters. And what's been interesting, and it's not a phenomenon, but what's been interesting, because a lot of people think this is a phenomenon, but it's not, that in the majority of these Black Lives Matter protests, the majority of the people have been white. And this is not new. If you go back and you look at the history of the civil rights movement and the black power movement and other black social movements that have taken place in this country, there have always been white people that came out to protest with us and for us. You know, one of the problems from that has been, you know, when you have some white people um, (laughs) romanticizing these particular movements you know, and they always want to talk about the white lives that were lost in those particular fights and and, and wars, if you will, if you want to call it that. And, you know, one of the pushbacks that we've always given was, 
was that white life more valuable than, than all of the black lives that had been lost? And generally, you know, that usually makes them think, and it's supposed to, right? So what's happening now is not new. This is something that, that has happened consistently throughout history. But also what has happened consistently in history is the white lash behind that. So this is why you see Trump supporters or these, these white patriots or these, these the white nationalists and militia groups showing up. They are coming, they are showing up to basically, they're going to harm the black and brown people out there, but they're showing up to, to give a message to the white protesters that are out there. You know, basically, in so many words, and in outright in some cases, they are calling them traitors to the white race. And they are coming out there to basically beat these white protesters into submission, to scare them and to force them back into the closets, force them back into their homes, force them off of, you know, these, these lines, force them, you know, out of these movements so that they can do what they can do and that white supremacy will continue to reign, right? And, and... Again, this is not the time to romanticize the past or to wax poetic or what have you, but they're coming out to beat back these white people that are out here standing up for the right thing. And, and, and it's just interesting because it happens time after time, and you're seeing a, a, you know, an influx. You're seeing this starting to grow. You're seeing more of these people you know, riding in, if you will. You know, um, they're night riders. And, you know, you've had some white politicians and some white, you know, editorialists and publishers saying that, you know, that the, the white people and the Klan and all of them need to come back to combat, you know, these protesters. And, and life here in America was fine, and black people don't know how well they have it, and why don't you just leave if you think you have it so bad? You know, all of these different arguments that you've heard over the years, but this is not a coincidence. This is being done by design. And so they consider them as traitors to the race, and, and, and this is why they're demonizing and vilifying Antifa, which is why, you know, it's, it's important for people to understand that there is no leadership base in Antifa, just like there is no real leadership base in the Black Lives Matter movement. And as a matter of fact, you know, they're categorizing all of these movements as Black Lives Matter when they're not. However, again, they want to vilify Black Lives Matter because that particular, you know, um, colloquial has caught on, right? And, and you know, you have people out here that, again, do not want racial equity. They don't want gender equity or any or equality or any of these matters, right? And this is being done deliberately to chase these white people back home. And they don't even have to go home. They just need to get the hell up off that damn rally and protest. And it's going to get worse, which is why you see these people coming out with you know, AR-15s and, 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 you know, all of these high-powered weapons. And, you know, had those people been black, you know, they would have mowed down the entire crowd. You know this and I know this. And, again, you know, look at what happened in Milwaukee with that, you know, white supremacist domestic terrorist assassin thug, how he was walking towards the police 
with his weapon and his hands up telling them what he had done, and they're giving him bottles of water and congratulating him and let him go home. And for that matter, with that particular thug, you know, they've raised millions of dollars. A white Christian church in the white Christian community has raised over a million dollars for this young man's defense. I don't know what else to tell you other than what the fuck is happening. But this is not new. I mean, even with that domestic terrorist assassin that killed up, you know, thug, white supremacists that killed those black people in that black church. They raised a lot of money for him as well. And you should not be surprised. I'm surprised that you're surprised. But again, as James Baldwin said, white people are caught up in a history that they do not know and do not understand, which is why I brought up that book about white lies and, and that we were taught in history class and how you've been trained and taught to forget these things and not to pay it any attention and to pay it no mind, which is why they are doing everything in their power to bring professional sports back, to try to ch- take everything back to you know, normalcy, if you will right, which I hate that word, which used to not be a word, but now it's a word, but, you know, to take things back to distract people's attention so that people will not, you know, sit back and learn and get a better understanding, which is why they're killing this anti-racist training, you know, and, you know, and I've talked about some of this anti-racist training and, and some of the books that are out there and why I find some of it problematic, as well as why I find it problematic that white people believe that if they read a couple of books, watch a couple of videos, maybe go see one or two people speak, that they are now not racist or anti-racist. That's not how that works. And over the years, I've told you that you have to unlearn a lot of shit and deprogram yourself. So anyway, um, you know, one of my predictions is, you know, this white lash, these militia and white supremacists and alt-righters showing up to counter-protest the protesters, this is going to get bigger. And with the encouragement of, you know, this current administration, is going to get even bigger than that. And that is not to, to, how can I put it, give cover to the Democrats, because there are quite a few Democrats that believe in this and that support these actions. They're just, you know, too afraid to say anything about it in public. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, how all of that works. And But, you know, one of my predictions is, you know, you have all of this controversy about them allowing these children to go back to school. And what's going to happen, they keep pushing it and, you know, these outbreaks, you know, which they're not talking about enough on mainstream news. And that's, again, a lot of the news is being suppressed. And a lot of these mainstream, you know, um, television stations and networks and all of that, they're afraid to defy this current administration because, of course, this administration do not want you all knowing about all the protests that have been happening progressively and, you know, and, and all along. They want you to believe that the protests have died down and people went home. And that's not the case. People have been protesting, in, you know, every day. And this is happening in multiple cities. And they're also trying to, again, propagandize the news and have you all believing that is, you know, the Black Lives Matter protesters, if you will, that's causing all the problems along with the anti-fascists and the people of, of that nature when that's not true. 
You have a lot of these white supremacists and militias showing up, shooting people with paintballs and, and causing trouble and, and hoping that they get some type of reaction. And this is why you've been seeing people getting killed, you know, and, and it's just interesting. So anyway, one of my predictions with this schooling thing is, yes, you know, they want to open these schools back, but I can almost stand here and tell you that you're going to start seeing more of these mass school shootings because you have a lot of angry white people out here that are just absolutely raging. And, and they're subjecting their children and their grandchildren to that. And in some cases, these children and grandchildren are rejecting them and pushing back. But in a lot of cases, many of these children do not have that type of leverage. They don't have that type of, um, you know, freedom to do that. And I believe you're going to see more is going to increase of these school shootings. I mean, they're still happening now. You know, they're not covering it, but it's happening. But you're going to see more of that because they're going to go back to school. They're frustrated. They're angry. And they're going to take it out on, again, you know, whoever's closest to them, you know, which, again, you have proximity crime. And, you know, that's why when people start talking about the black-on-black crime, which isn't a thing, um, basically, you know, you're talking about intracommunal violence, right? And it's about proximity. Just like white people are six times more likely to commit a crime against another white person than a black person. And, again, it's about proximity. And you're more than likely to have a crime committed against you by a family member or friend or neighbor, proximity. So I want you to keep that in mind. But yes, you know, again, um, you have people out here that are saying, well, you know, these police officers would be entirely dumb for, you know, to go out there and continue to kill black people on film. It has not stopped. Look at Jacob Blake. They meant to kill him, but it didn't happen. He survived which was the very last thing that they wanted. As a matter of fact, he gave an interview. I have not had a chance to watch that interview. But I'm pretty sure that you have a lot of angry white people that are not happy that this young man survived and is able to tell his story. And, you know, he's paralyzed from the waist down, but I'm hoping that, you know, he'll be able to regain his ability to walk. I don't know. I don't. I haven't read about you know, what was going on with him, and I'm not a doctor or anything of that nature. But, um, you know, you're going to start seeing more of this, and, you know, mainstream America is covering some of it, but it's because they really don't have a choice. And in this article, um, Eli says that he had predicted in June um, what was going to happen and that he knew a majority of white people would revert to form and regress to their mean because the majority of white people were always going to value their own comfort over justice for black people. And that goes back to what we've been talking about, how, again, you know, white people, again, will vote for white supremacy, again, for them being centered, their causes being centered. And it goes back to what happened when 50, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump, even though, you know, he's, he's a sexist and a misogynist. 
um, within that particular, you know, instance right there, it was about their being white, their proximity to whiteness, but also their proximity to white power or white men, you know, and it's always going to be centered, which is why I read those quotes to you from um, from um, Bree Newsom, right, Bass, and um, that's why I posted it. This is how it's been. This is how it will always be, you know, and I have people making the argument that, you know, again, it's about class, and we should be focusing on class and waging a class war. Now, I'm not arguing that point as far as, you know, we need to wage a class war, but black and brown people and, and you know, indigenous people and, and Asian, you know, just in general, whether you're considered a model minority or not, um, we cannot afford to factor out race when we're out here and we're talking about these things. Because, again, we have to overcome that racism, not ignore it. And there are a lot of people, white people in particular, and there are some black, brown, red, and yellow folks that feel the same way, that we should ignore race and focus on class. But, again, it's the same playbook. It's the same trick. You know, what they do is, you know, black people will start a movement. White people will come over and co-opt it and appropriate it and, 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 and basically center themselves and center what they want because, again, a lot of these white people who are not, you know, heterosexuals, cisgendered, you know, wealthy, land-owning white people, they're in these other groups, you know, probably in addition to that, but you're part of these other groups. They just want their regular white people status back. And they will use us to go out there and cheerlead for them with the promise that they will turn around and help us with whatever we're trying to do. And basically, um, after they get whatever it is that they were desiring, then, you know, they want to turn around and tell the, you know, the communities of color that assisted them, well, we got ours and we worked hard for it. Now you have to do your own thing and not want to help and not want to assist. They've done this time and time again, which is why you have people like myself and many other, you know, um, black people and other non-black people of color who are out here, and we've basically removed ourselves from all of these other mainstream movements because we understand history and we know what's happening, and you've done it even in most recent history. So why should we put ourselves on the line for you? And, and and continue to advance your cause when you have absolutely no intention of helping us to overcome the things that we need to overcome to achieve, you know, whether it's racial or financial or gender, you know, equity or equality. So, again, it's about white people centering themselves, becoming, getting their status of regular white people back. And, you know, what was what, he, what Eli is talking about in this article, he talks about Floyd, right, and what happened to Mr. Floyd when he was, you know, murdered by the white police officers in Minnesota, you know, and I'm going to read this from the article here. He says that, and I knew that white people would eventually find a way to blame black people for making them not care about us because not every black person brutalized by the cops can go out like Floyd. In many ways, Floyd was the perfect victim for white America. Floyd didn't die quickly. He was subdued in a non-threatening position for eight minutes and 46 seconds while he died. 
He died pleading for his life. He died calling out for his mother. That's how white people like us to die, face down, begging. They don't like us to die on our feet. They don't like us to die trying to get away. They certainly don't like us to die while trying to defend ourselves. And then he goes on to talk about Jacob Blake. He says, Jacob Blake was not the perfect victim for white people. He was trying to walk away. Sure, he was shot at seven times from behind, right into the back, but quickly. He was not tortured on camera long enough for white people to consider other alternatives, right? And, 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 and it's just interesting because I've talked about this on a number of occasions. And, you know, we talked about how with white America, how they would go to these lynchings, especially if it was a planned lynching, and they would bring their families out and have a little picnic and cameras and, you know, the postcards, and they would watch a black person being lynched or burned up or lynched and burned up. And, you know, this would happen on a Saturday, and then they would show up to church on a Sunday. How can you reconcile that? And this is something that we need to talk about even more, right? But, yeah, they don't like for us to fight back. They don't like for us to, to, to have any type of dignity, let alone die with dignity, you know, fighting back or trying to get away. You know, and even when you try to get away, like with Ahmaud Arbery, right, he was trying to get away after they, were tra- after they trapped him and, and, and chasing after him with the vehicle, and yet they still shot him down in the street like he was a dog. And they were being celebrated and heralded for that. But we're supposed to believe that you care about us and that you want what's best for black people. And, again, that's why they're trying to push all these white people back because, again, they're, you know, they want to use, you know, the police, which have been militarized. And, and, you know, some of these police officers, you know, believe that they are now part of the military. But they want to use the National Guard's troops, and, and, and the Cheddar Tater Tot wants to send out the military itself to combat the protesters. And it's even to the point that, you know, he's, he's threatening at least 10 years in jail if you pull down a Confederate statue. You know, and again, interestingly enough, when I was talking about idolatry last week, you know, you know, those Confederate statues are also idols, false idols. You know, and, and as far as I'm concerned, the same thing with these statues of Jesus and these pictures of Jesus and the crucifix. Those are false idols as well, and they need to come down as well. But that's just me. And and it's just really interesting. So, um, again, they the white community is going into overdrive, if you will, trying to figure out how to squash these protests and how to beat, you know, black people and non-black people of color back into submission in which we silently just take whatever treatment is coming to us. And they've made it to the point that even with us trying to seek justice, it's too expensive. You know, Brown versus the Board of Education, you know, taking that all the way to the Supreme Court. That didn't cost no ten, twenty thousand dollars It didn't cost, you know, $100,000. That was millions of dollars. 
that had to go into that. So, you know, getting justice as a black person in America is extremely expensive. And especially if you're on a job, you know, I posted, um, I believe it was another meme or, you know, um, screenshot, and it was talking about how, again, if, if, if white people were putting their knees on black necks, like George Floyd, and and subduing him and killing him, it was talking about, can you imagine what's happening in human resources in a number of other areas? Happens all the time at these jobs, which is why you have a lot of black people and non-black people of color who do not even report a lot of the racism and, and with women, with the sexism, you know, that's happening on these jobs and with, with some LGBTQ people, the homophobia. Why? Because the minute you complain, then you become the target, right? Because I need people to understand HR, human resources, is not there for the worker. It is there to protect management and to protect the company. And especially if you start, if you start talking about racism, you know, the first thing some of these human resource people will say, oh, well, that was just a miscommunication. You misunderstood. Or I know that person. They would never do that. But let one of your white colleagues come in and say that you did whatever, then automatically you're grilled and put under the spotlight, whether they know you or not. And, you know, in some cases I've seen white people come together and and collectively do everything they can to drum a black person or a non-black person of color out of a job. And they get very threatened if you're as smart as, as or if not smarter than. Because, again, you know, it's unfortunate, but we have to go into these jobs and into these areas, you know, being smarter than, you know, the white people we work with and working two, three times as hard. And then it gets to the point in some cases where they become dependent upon that work because not only are you doing your work, you're doing their work for them as well, or or at least a good portion of their work. And when you decide you're not going to do it anymore, then now they have to get rid of you, right? And um, it's just really interesting. Um, And even with the Jacob Blake, you know, again, that whole situation of, you know, trying to portray him as, you know, a criminal, you know, or as a, you know, um, some type of, you know, offender, sex offender, or what have you, and bringing up this imaginary knife. And and then when we start talking about these things, you start coming at us with, well, not all white people. I'm not like that. And again, we have to fight back, and we have no other choice, you know, and it's just really interesting. I want you all to pay attention to what's happening in Wisconsin and North Carolina, specifically in, in North Carolina, where the cheddar tater tot is telling people to vote twice to test the system. Now, what he's doing is illegal, and those of them that will do this, and it's not just for North Carolina, you know, that's, he's telling them to do this across the board and is going to create chaos and havoc. But that is how he thrives. 
And, you know, what I'm sitting around is watching these Democrats and these other people saying, well, he can't do that. He just did it. You, it's a whole bunch of stuff that he should not have done, you know, or, but he's done it. And the next four years are going to be, you know, he's going to do even more because it's really nothing they can do. He's already been impeached. And even if the Democrats take control of the Senate, they're still, they will still not have enough power. The number of votes, it has to be 60 votes to get rid of him. Because I don't believe they're going to win that many seats. And also, there are some Democrats that do not want to get rid of him. Why? Because they harbor the same sentiments. So anyway, you know, it's just really interesting. Um, you know, in this, in this article, he was talking about law and order and basically saying it's the widest possible way to describe shooting a black man seven times in the back. Chaos is a weird euphemism for uprising of a people who are sick of being brutalized at the hands of the state. Look at what's happening up there in Buffalo, New York. Look at what's happening in Rochester, New York. It's all over the place. And the only reason why I'm bringing up Buffalo, New York, was, you know, they had a Black Lives Matter protest. And there was this one woman who was a business owner who was walking down the sidewalk and some of the angry white men told her she could not walk on the same sidewalk that they were on and sent the police over there, and the police made her go get on the other sidewalk, even though she owned a business on that same block as those white men, and her business was literally steps behind them. The police moved her, made her move to the other side of the street to walk by, and she was treated as you know, as, as a criminal, as someone that's attempting to cause and create trouble. And this is what we have to deal with, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, in this article he says none of this at all is surprising, right? However, white people blaming black people for the horrors white people inflict upon black people is as American as apple pie. They blame the slave who ran away for forcing the master to whip him. They blame the black people agitating for freedom for causing the Civil War. They blame the freedom riders for trying to register black people to vote for getting themselves killed. Now black people are being blamed as being too violent to police our own communities and too strident to build a coalition with quote-unquote moderate whites who would totally be on our side if we weren't all arsonists who wanted to eat white people or something. And here we go again. He's saying it's all working after a fashion, you know. And um, basically he was talking about a poll that showed that white Wisconsin voters that showed white support for BLM movement declining to 49%, down from a high of 59% support a few months ago. And again, it's about the propaganda, and it's about who's controlling the narrative. But it's also, again, about, you know, white people not wanting to lose whatever control and power that they think that they may have. Or, again, demanding that we make, you know, our words and our movements and our actions more palatable to them and in mainstream white America. And if we would just act right and do right and, 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 and again, just obey the law and do what the police, the nice police officer is telling you, then you wouldn't have all of this chaos. It doesn't matter. We can't stand on our porch while being black. We can't whistle while being black. We can't laugh by being black. 
you know, in Rochester, New York, you know, the, the, the young man that was killed, and I apologize for not having his name on my lips. I knew it, but I lost it. And, you know, he was having, you know, um, an episode, a mental health episode, and he was nude. He had stripped nude, put his hands up, dropped to his knees. They went to him. They handcuffed him, and then they put a bag over his head. And the, the young man was not spitting at them or any of them. But anyway, to make a long story short, he died, you know, after, you know, you know, it didn't happen that same night, but he ended up dying. And basically those seven police officers have been suspended with pay, so they're on vacation. But we'll see if any justice comes from that because, again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're obedient or you comply with the law or, you know, you don't have a cell phone, so they can't shoot you for mistaking your cell phone for, you know, being a gun. It does not matter. But you can have a white person shooting at and, 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 and killing and at 40, 50 people. There was a story I read, and I, I don't recall it off the top of my head right now, and I apologize for that, but, you know, it happened most recently, had to have been within the last week, with a white person who was out there creating trouble, and they subdued him. They didn't shoot no bullets at him, no rubber bullets. I don't even think they tased his ass. So what does that say? It says a lot to me. And, again, I would encourage you guys to go out there and start reading a lot of this stuff for yourself. Um, yes, I do encourage you to read books, um, but sometimes I put information up there. And, you know, also, you know, I lend books out, digital books. I don't lend my, my paperbacks and hardbacks out anymore because people have, you know, again, abused that trust. And, you know, I'll ask for the book back after six months. Oh, I still haven't read it. I don't care. Give it back. And you get it back and you get coffee stains on it. The kids don't use crayon, you know, and it's, it's just, it's amazing. So anyway, there are a few more articles that I want you guys to go out and read. I'm going to put them up online, but this one is Teen Vogue, right? And the title of this particular article, which is a really good article, um, is titled How White People Have Reacted to Black Success Over Time in the United States. Again, how white people have reacted to black success over time in the United States. And this was published July 30th of 2018, and it was written by Kim Reynolds, right? And in this particular article, she explains the history of white lashes in the United States. And again, um, you know, I want you to read this, but I'll I'll read off and quote a few um, paragraphs here. So right here it says, white lash is a unique and poignant word. It signifies a definite and determinate action in retaliation for the mobility of blackness that is an assertion of white supremacy. There are clear and distinct racial underpinnings that give voice to some of the reasons behind Trump's election and also prove that this is not the first example of a white lash in American history. 
And it says, if we think about how and why white lashes happen, we must begin with the invention of white supremacy and an ideology and structure that views white people as a dominant superior race. This ideology was used to mobilize, justify, and create racialized slavery, which was used in the United States with origins stemming from European colonizers, including the Portuguese, English, French, and Spanish. And again, I've talked about on this show a number of times about the only really true white people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and those are the people that come from Western European you know, countries. That would include Portugal, England, um, France, Spain, you know, Germany, all of that, those are the true wasps, right? And again, there is a hierarchy in whiteness that white people, many white people don't even understand. I mean, I've talked to white people about the hierarchy, and it was like looking at deers caught in headlights because they were like, what the hell? And I'm like, it's interesting. So anyway, the concept, I'm reading from the article again, the concept of white supremacy was legitimized during the 18th century through pseudoscience that sought to prove the inherent inferiority of black genetics. And while race is a social construct and pigmentation is genetically insignificant, such scientific findings were normalized in the public arena and installed in America. And this is one of the reasons why I have a problem with Sam Harris one of your white atheist heroes, because he is a big proponent of the bell curve, you know, theory, right? And, and, and again, the pseudoscience. And, you know, and I, I just point this type of stuff out, you know, white people get angry, but it's not my fault. And, I mean, if you want to even go back before this, I want you to go back and, I, and, and look up the doctrine of discovery, and I believe it was 1493, in subsequent you know, times as well, subsequent dates and years as well, but the doctrine of discovery in which basically, and this was approved of and blessed by the Catholic Church, by the Pope himself, in which basically if white people went and said that they discovered something, then they were allowed to colonize that. And that is what happened with the Native Americans, the indigenous people in this country. The doctrine of discovery allowed white Americans or the colonizers to strip the Native Americans of their citizenship and to take this land and to take this property, and not only here in America, all over the world. And this is one of the reasons why I, I beg you all to go out and to, 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 to learn about these things. You want to go out and learn about manifest destiny and, and all of those things to help you get a better understanding of what, you know, um, you know, colonialism did, you know, and what the colonizers did to us and how they were able to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And so an article here is talking about the Emancipation Proclamation of of 1863 and the ratification of the 13th Amendment in 1865 sought to abolish legal slavery. The racist architecture and legacy of slavery could not be wiped clean. One of America's first white lashes then was the Jim Crow period that came in reaction to the period of Reconstruction. And we were screwed in Reconstruction and we were screwed with Jim Crow and we're screwed now, which is why I tell you all to go and read the 13th Amendment and, and what happened with that, but also read the 14th Amendment. And while you're reading the 14th Amendment, get a better understanding of what's happening with the prison industrial complex and why, you know, 
being in prison, being caught up in a penal system, being in jail or what have you, how that's another form of slavery. And and look at what's produced behind it. You have some of these prisoners that are doing customer service for some of the largest, wealthiest corporations in the world being paid pennies on a dollar. And when they are released from the system, that they are not eligible to work for these companies because you have a felony, you're a criminal. But they were a criminal when you were paying them to do it for, you know, 50 cents or a dollar or nine cents while they were in jail, coming out with these artisanal skills. You know, some of these prisoners come out of jail knowing how to make customized cheese, you know, artisanal cheese and, and wine and bread and all of these things. But Whole Foods will not employ you. You understand? And 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 it's just really interesting because I've seen that some of these same people have come out and created their own, you know, farms and their own brands. And it, you know, I'm really happy to see that. But it wasn't meant for you to 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 uh, capitalize on or to gain from, right? And so, basically, you know, what we're seeing again is not new. This has happened over and over, and it will continue to happen, you know, and it's just important for you guys to understand, you know, again, the 13th and the 14th Amendment. And, you know, even with what's happening now with the Cheddar Tater Tot telling people to basically vote twice, you know, again, you know, the Voting Rights Act, and they, they, they shut down Section 5 of it, and they're, they're trying to shut down Section 2 of it as well. So if you think voter suppression is bad now, if this is allowed to stand and they're able to shut down Section 2, then we go on back to how many bubbles are there in a bar of soap, you know, for real, for real, you know, and again, with this voter ID law, I mean, I don't want any of this to be lost on you guys. You know, I want you to go and I want you to read up, you know, on these things because it's only going to help you understand what's happening now. What's happening now is just, a, you know, um, it's a continuation of what's happened in the past. So there's another article on bu.edu, which is Boston University, right? And the title of this article is, If Identity Politics Elected Trump in 2016, What Will Happen in 2020? Again, if identity politics elected Trump in 2016, what will happen in 2020? And this was written by Rich Barlow, and it was published February 25th of this year. And so basically right here, the first paragraph is non-white Americans will outnumber whites in a generation. The chart on the classroom screen shows did their demographic shrinkage unnerve enough Caucasians to spawn what's been called a white lash that carried Donald Trump to the White House in 2016. And so, um, again, right here, another paragraph, it says, whites undeniably benefit from their skin color, says one white student, recalling how his mother once told him that unlike parents of non-whites, I didn't have to worry about you being pulled over and killed by the police. Yet another student says the white lash prevails mainly upon specific slices of whites, Trump's base of white males who, to this student anyway, seem especially Southern and kind of economically lower class. Now, do not allow them to confuse you or to trick you into believing that it was, you know, working class, working poor, poor white people that 
put Trump in office, yes, they are a factor. I'm not denying that. But it was wealthy white people who put Trump over the top, and they scapegoated poor and working class white people. But it was wealthy white people who put Trump in office. Don't let them fool you. And if you go back and you read some of the post-mortem reports about 2016, you will get all the evidence and information you need. It has all of the statistics. It has all of the information that's been analyzed. Because trust and believe when you register to vote, they're using that data to pull other information about you. And, again, this is the government, so they know everything there is to know about you, which is how they're able to compile a lot of these lists. You know, and then also, if you pay attention to when you're being surveyed, um, they ask you very specific questions about how you identify. They'll ask you questions about your income and, and things like that. So anyway, I'm going to get a, get back to this in this article. But right here it says, identity politics has been around as long as America's been around. And that's what the, the, the instructor says. And talking about Slavery and the debates over that are the most extreme form of identity politics, political debate and campaigning over the most basic issue of who gets to be recognized, not just as a citizen, but as a person. So again, again, with this identity politics, you'll have a bunch of people, white, especially white, but a few blacks who will say that identity politics, you know, um, um, is evil, basically. And that's another argument that Sam Harris and his, his little sycophants make. But, you know, again, they want you to recognize them as an atheist. And, again, that's identity politics. But what the fuck do I know? A little black girl from South South Chicago, you know, what the hell do I know? So another quote from this article, it says, that debate continued playing out when the Native American lost rights as citizens when Chinese immigrants were barred from the nation for six decades by the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. And when any number of immigrant groups Irish, Italian, Jews were not considered white by WASP, says Rose, who lectures on the redefinition of whiteness as part of the class. That goes back to what I was talking about, about that hierarchy of whiteness. And that's why, you know, when I talk about Irish people and Italian people, especially Italian people from the southern part of Italy, and I talk about Jewish people, this is why I do not recognize them as white. I recognize them as white adjacent, as, you know, um, ethnic whites or, you know, ethnic, right? And Jewish people were not recognized as whites until the mid-60s. And part of that was because they wanted to draw them out of supporting the civil rights and black power movement. Again, none of this is by coincidence. And I've talked about this, and other people have talked about this as well, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I will be coming back to this at some point in, in the show. And what the Cheddar Tater Tot did here, I'm going to read this from this article, Trump appropriated marginalized people's sense of identity politics. And basically, another quote, presenting evangelical Christians or presenting white men as an oppressed minority seeking their rights against an oppressive coalition. I'm going to read that again because that's very important presenting evangelical Christians or presenting white men as an oppressed minority seeking their rights against an oppressive coalition. Ding, ding, ding. You need to understand that and how that was, again, appropriated as well as exploited. 
and why you're seeing this influx of angry white people willing to get in their cars and their trucks and go out to, to these protesters and, 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 and create problems and shoot at them, whether it's with paintballs or whether it's with bullets. Um, again, this is them trying to take their country back. This is them wanting to be recognized because, you know, we've been giving all these things to these black and brown people and all of this. Well, what about us? What about what we want to see? And what happened is, you know, again, it's about entitlement. They are so used to them being the center of the arguments, the center of attention, the center of everything, whereas when they've had to share a little bit more, they've lost their damn minds because just having to share a little bit more is just asking for too much. And so the problem are those of us who are the others, right? And, you know, again, it's interesting because with the RNC, with their damn you know, propaganda infomercial, you know, they were talking, you know, what they did was they took what Martin Luther King says and they twisted that shit, right? And so Martin Luther King talked about, you know, how he longed for the day when Americans would be judged, not for the color of their skin, but by their character, right? And with the Republicans, what they said during the RNC is basically people would be judged by their character and their actions, and not by the color of their skin. I need you all to pay attention to these Jedi mind tricks that they're putting out here and that they're playing on you. And this is one of the reasons why when I do talk about Christianity and and Christians, I'm specifically, for the most part, directing it to white Christians and white evangelicals because Christianity or westernized or Americanized Christianity, as it stands, is steeped in white supremacy. It's built on top of that. So that would include capitalism, that would include homophobia, that would include patriarchy, you know, those white supremacy, again, you know, those tenets, those are the cornerstones of Christianity. And people need to understand that. And even when it goes to the black Christian community, which is based on, especially in America, and it's infected Africa, and, you know, it's happening over in South America, just all over the world, but specifically America, a lot of black churches are teaching that same white supremacy, right? But many of them, I don't believe they know or understand or they refuse to believe or can't bring themselves to believe that, you know, racism and white supremacy and white privilege, you know, has infected the gospel to that point, they, you know, it's, it's many, not only whites, but black people that cannot reconcile the fact that racism is tied to Christianity. And in, in, in some cases, you know, is one of the cornerstones, you know, and this is not to let the atheist community off because it's over there as well. Anytime one of the black groups or one of the black, you know, black people or black groups started a movement talking about these things, there was always a backlash to that. And in one particular case, you know, you know, again, all they were concerned, only, only thing they were concerned about was putting butts in feet and making money. And that was a great disappointment to quite a few of us. But, hey, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Right. And so, again, I want you all to read this article. I'm going to post this on my Facebook as well. I haven't posted it on Reddit yet. That's coming. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, 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 
amazing what we've had to live through and then being gaslighted, you know, all the way through. Black people have been gaslighted from the very beginning, which is why some of us are confused. And I'm still learning, and I'm still unlearning some shit. I'm still deprogramming. So when I tell white people that they have to unlearn and deprogram, they're not the only ones. We have to do it too. And what's interesting is when sometimes I'll hear or see a black person say, well, it's hard to fool me, you know, and, you know, I'm smart. And I'm like, no one is challenging your, your intellectual capacity. But it's easy to be fooled. When all you've been taught are lies and innuendo and all of this bullshit here, it's hard for you to think outside the box. It's hard to step away from that. It's hard to challenge that. So don't think that you can't be tricked. Don't think that you can't get got. So I'm still unlearning and deprogramming some things as well. You know, um, you know, you have these people out here trying to sell this lie of the, you know, the um, diversity and inclusion. It's a lie. Diversity and inclusion is the same thing as thoughts and fucking prayers. And if you go and you look at you. Know, at your company or in academia, when they have these diversity officers or what have you, nine times out of ten is white women. There's a reason for that. So anyway, I'm going to give you this next article, and then I'm going to start winding it down. This other article is on the Washington Post, right? And this article was published um, – hold on a second here. That's not what I wanted to do. Come on now. Of course – you know, your computer wants, oh, damn it, forget it. All right, the title of this article is From White Fragility to White Rage, The Broken Promise of America. Again, From White Fragility to White Rage, The Broken Promise of America. This was written by Jonathan Capehart. Again, Jonathan Capehart, and this was published June 18th, 2020. And I did not post this anywhere, so I'm going to put it on our Reddit forum as well as on Facebook. So now I'm trying to scroll down to where I was because there was a part in here that I um, wanted to focus on. But, you know, I'll start here, you know, and it's talking about Carol Anderson's book, right? And it's talking about the great migration of 6 million African Americans from the South to the North between 1915 and 1970, in which my family participated in that as well. And then he talks a little bit about, the, you know, um, President Barack Obama being elected. And right here he says, well, it's not him. This is um, what Carol Anderson says in her book. The trigger for white rage inevitably is black advancement. It is not the mere presence of black people that is the problem. Rather, it is blackness with ambition, right? And right here it says every step forward has been historically greeted with legal and societal slapback. And yet, despite all this, Carol Anderson continues, a black man was elected president of the United States, the ultimate advancement and thus the ultimate affront, right? And again, it's just interesting what Carol Anderson says again, the hatred for Obama was so intense and so divorced from anything that he did except being black that it had that base. It had that fuel within white America looking for the un-Obama. And this goes back to, you know, a little bit of what I was talking about, about Frank Wilderson's book, Afro-Pessimism. He talks about Afro-Negro genesis. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. 
Negrophobogenesis. Again, I'll repeat that. Negrophobogenesis. Negro, black, phobo, fear of, genesis, beginning. Fear of blacks from the very beginning, just being black, just that, you know, just being black and there causes fear. It's a problem. It's trouble. So you don't have to do anything. Just the fact that you are black and you exist is a problem with quite a few white people, not just in America, but all over the world. Because when, you know, these, these movements started gaining traction in Europe, particularly Western Europe, I used to talk about it, I used to post about it, and, you know, again, people got angry because I was posting about it, saying, what does that have to do to us, do with us? And I said, it's coming to a city near you. And it has. And this is why I watch a lot of news and read a lot of, you know, news articles and newspapers based in Europe, in the, particularly Western Europe. And, you know, Eastern Europe doesn't get off the hook. Look at Melania. Melania is, is, is just as bad, if not worse, than Trump himself. Don't, don't be fooled. So anyway, huh. So anyway, um, you know, this is an excellent, excellent article. Um, again, you know, there are some things that I don't necessarily agree with. However, it happened. You know, and it's interesting because, you know, one of the things I've talked about in, in personal conversations um, was when, you know, President Obama was up there talking about exceptionalism despite what he and Michelle were being taken through. And, you know, personally, I I don't understand how he could talk about exceptionalism in America when, when that exceptionalism is bestowed upon whites and no one else. At least that's how they see it. And even though he was the first, quote, unquote, black president, um, you know, we're not too many. We're only three generations. Well, okay, my grandmother... Her mother was a slave, so I'm only three generations away, and my grandmother only died four years ago, so she was a child of a slave, but yet, again, you know, us and in our demands for reparation, oh, there are no slaves alive, well, there were children of slaves alive, there are still a few more that are still left, but time is running out. And it's just really interesting because slavery has impacted us. This country would not be what it was, was it not for the economy that was built upon the backs of enslaved people? And we need to know that and we need to understand that. So anyway, you know, I want you guys to go and read this book. I mean, I'm sorry, read this article, but I do want you to read Carol Anderson's book. Um, and, you know, I'll post some videos and things like that, you know, in the next day or two. But, um, again, White Lies white lash, and black lives hanging in a balance. And that's what's happening here. And, you know, it's interesting because I posted an article in which Cornell West was talking about Biden as well as Trump in this election. And he says, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, um, we have a choice between disaster and catastrophe. But again, as I said last week, you know, when have, when have black people in this country ever lived in a successful state. We've been living in a failed state from the very beginning. And I do not believe that Joe Biden is going to come in and start, you know, talks and, 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 and you know, legislation about 
you know, about, you know, reparations, about fair housing, about environmental justice, and all of those things. Again, you have to understand that these people will pander any audience that they're in front of, and they change their talks and their speaks according, and, you know, their talks and their lectures accordingly. So anyway, we're down to our last minute and a half, and so I'm just going to just basically encourage you guys, don't be fooled. Do not be fooled um, about what has happened and what's happening in this country. And, you know, again, identity politics plays in all of these communities, again, even in the feminist community. It plays out in that even in the community that's advancing disability rights. So anyway, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. And again, if you want to give a donation, you can look me up on Cash App, dollar sign Black Free Thinkers, PayPal.com slash Black Free Thinkers, Venmo, Black Free Thinkers. If you want to send some money in, what have you, you know, there are some other things that I want to develop. But again, this is Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Don't let these folks gaslight you. Do your research, get these words, this history for yourself so that you can fight back. Fighting back with facts is the best way that you can fight back when you have no weapons. That is a weapon, and it's the biggest weapon. Why? Because there are facts. You know, you can have your own reality, but you can't have your own facts. Anyway, you all take care. Thank you for sticking with me and supporting me. Take care, everybody. Good Sunday. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 